Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Uh, You know, John Newton said, the more you know him, the better you will trust him. The more you trust him, the better you will love him. The more you love him, the better you will serve him. That's what we're here trying to do every day at Faith Radio. We're going to have a great, great couple of hours planned for you today. We're going to have Guide Talk coming up in just a minute. Dr. Peter Kapsner is already in studio along with Reverend Tom Brock. So we're going to be chatting up uh, Guy Talk. If you have an issue or a concern or a topic you would like us to discuss, let us know what it is. You can send us a text at 877-933-2484. Again, 877-933-2484. Hour two is going to be John and Pam Bloom. We call that Deep Thinker Thursday. So that's what's ahead. We'll take 60 seconds and get the Guy Talk started. regular listener and supporter. We love your show. You're doing a good job. And I try to listen every day. So God bless you. Thanks again. God bless you. Share your story of how Faith Radio has impacted your life when you call the toll-free Faith Line at 877-93-FAITH. Leave a message anytime at 877-933-2484. We look forward to hearing from you. Following Jesus in every season. You will never run away. You're forever mine. You will never run away. You're by my side. You will never run away. You'll forever shine. You will never run away. You're by my side. Faith Radio. Welcome back to the show. We are going to enjoy Guide Talk this hour. Let us know what your concerns, issues, or topics you'd like us to tackle on your behalf. Let us know. 877-933-2484. Dr. Peter Kapsner is in studio and Pastor Tom Brock. Gentlemen, welcome. Thank you. Thanks Thanks to be here. Now, you guys recently have traveled quite a bit uh, as abroad. Peter, you went overseas. Yep, we did. So let's talk about plane etiquette. How bad is it? (laughs) <laughs> well, you know, there's my least favorite part of any kind of plane experience is when the person in front of you decides to lean back about five yeah. seconds into an overseas flight and then is there for the next six hours, <laughs> just right in your lap the entire time when you're trying to yeah. sleep. So, What about barefoot passengers? Did you see any of those? Well, I did see barefoot, but I have to confess that I am one of those people who does take off his shoes, you know, to keep the swe- ankles from swelling as you're, okay. as you're overseas. Socks on but or socks I, off? The socks are definitely on. Okay. I would not go to the Thank barefoot you. car. Yeah, no, I would you not may, go to the barefoot car. You may remain on the show this hour. <laughs> Tom, where have you been traveling? I went to see my godson get married in Michigan. Nice. And did the fun Shipshawana, Indiana on the way out. Where nice. All the big Amish. It's the largest flea market in the Midwest. And you go to the Amish tour and you get in the van and you meet the Amish. And that was a lot of fun. Did you do some of the Amish restaurants? I did. They serve up some good that, food, oh, don't they? You can they? eat Amish buffet. That's uh, right. How did you do with that? 
I ate a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but it was interesting. I, I was able to kind of witness to an Amish guy and, and find out what they believe. So well, That's interesting. Yeah. You want to give us a... Well, just I went up to him. I said, do, do the Amish believe in the Trinity? Yes. Do you believe Jesus is fully God and fully man? Yes. Do you believe we're saved by grace and not by good works? And he said yes. But I had talked to a, an, a lady that was raised Amish. Now she's an evangelical Christian. Her opinion was that they're so into legalism that they don't really have a relationship with Christ or understand we're saved by grace alone. So, you know, it's and another guy kind of said the same thing. So I don't know. Yeah, and, and outside looking in, I, I appreciate their way of life on some level. There's a real mm-hmm. rhythm to it. There is a, a sense in which the things of this world maybe are not as important as many of us yeah. who are tethered to so many of the different things of the world. But from a theological standpoint, you found that there were some substantive differences mm-hmm. between evangelical Christians and the Amish? Yeah, she, well, she, the, the, uh, the evangelical lady that was raised Amish was kind of heartbroken because she feels that they just don't have Christian freedom and... And she wonders if they have salvation because they're so trusting their works. Yeah, and that's that's part. But I think we fall into that a little bit sometimes as oh, believers, yeah. don't we? we there's yeah. maybe a conversion experience yep. in which I want to believe they're saved. You know, only the Lord knows some right. of this stuff. Right, but yeah. I think about how often I feel like I have to prove out my salvation yeah. somehow by whether I've had a good week or a bad week. And maybe yeah. I've prayed that prayer of faith some 13, 15 times in my life. I know I ask my students sometimes in class, how many times have you prayed that conversion prayer of faith? Mm-hmm. If the one time it should have stuck, why have you done it 10 times? Mm-hmm. And almost the entire room says that, oh, I, I absolutely have prayed well, this prayer some 10 times. And I agree. I mean, I'm a, I've been a Christian many, many years, but there are days I wonder if I'm saved. Sure. But I fight those doubts with the promises of Scripture, by taking communion, by being in fellowship, you know. So we've all got the doubter in us still. Yeah, absolutely. I hardly believe you, Tom, right now. You hardly believe yeah, me? I, I have to say, I hardly believe you. <laughs> okay, good. That you've got those little <laughs> moments of uh, doubt. Um, well, I was talking about your salvation. <laughs> <laughs> all right. <laughs> all right. I don't b- believe that either. <laughs> all right. A friend of mine passed on a book, just said, hey, here's a great book. And it was The Divine Conspiracy, Rediscovering Our Hidden Life in God by Dallas Willard. And I know, Peter, you're a big fan of Dallas Willard. And I know you've met him. And I you've even read this book. I, I have. That one was a tough slog, I will say. It's a pretty thick book. It's mm-hmm. uh, a lot of pages, and, and it was one of those the books that you don't sit down and plan on reading 10, 15, even 20 pages at a time. I needed to sort of digest maybe over two or three pages because it was it was concepts with which I was pretty unfamiliar, and yet I would say it was about 20 years ago that I read it, and it really did alter my perspective on what it is that we're signing up for as Christians. And, and primarily, the, uh, Willard has a few different main concepts, but one of them is that God's kingdom is here and it's available. And the power of that kingdom is uh, present to us if we want to decide to say yes to it. And mm-hmm. he really emphasizes this idea of discipleship and following Jesus, that to become a Christian isn't to just pray a prayer of faith and somehow get positioned properly for heaven. Rather, to become a Christian is to say, my life is not my own. It's been bought with a price. And so I'm going to say yes to following Jesus and surrender my whole life to Jesus, who then begins to give us the resources through the power of his spirit and by the kingdom available to us to really become his ambassadors in this world, to really shine with an authentic Christ-likeness that, Tom, we were just chatting about a second ago. It isn't about a series of behaviors that I try to just will out and make happen, though I might need to do that from time to time but that there is the transformative power of God who really causes us not to just act loving, mm-hmm. but to actually become loving people. So when I see people, I'm not just treating them in a loving way through gritted teeth. 
I might actually love them. <laughs> and, and he has this, but, but that's going to be a fight and that's going to be a battle and mm-hmm. it doesn't happen overnight. But he really emphasizes the here and now of the kingdom that is available to us as we journey to that final kingdom mm-hmm. home. And it really flipped things around for me about why I said yes to following Jesus. So uh, I, you know, like any other person who's written and, and who does a lot of speaking as an author, he's not a perfect man by any stretch, but I found his writing to be very inspiring and very helpful over the years. Uh, and that also says in the in the book that talks about non-discipleship, that's kind of the elephant in the church that we don't really want to talk about that. It's easier to talk about moral failures or financial abuses, um, but we don't really want to go into discipleship and the work that involves. And what? that's pretty important. Yeah, it really is. And, and I think that's that, that dynamic where I think, I know I've struggled with it in my own life, where you go to church for an hour on a Sunday morning, and by lunch you've sort of forgotten all of it, is that the, the work of the disciple is somebody who, if you're going to give allegiance to a kingdom, uh, you could give allegiance to a kingdom on this earth, like a country, or I could give allegiance to building my own kingdom, or I can give my allegiance to the kingdom of Jesus, which means that there's no point to be in a non-disciple. You're going to be following Jesus throughout your day, and you don't live this weird life of having some uh, sacred time on a Sunday morning and then secular time for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Your entire life gets to be increasingly infused with the kingdom. And Willard talks about the idea that we sort of perpetrate this idea of non-discipleship. As long as you kind of check the church thing off your list, maybe get into a small group on a Wednesday night, uh, have an accountability group that you text to, and, and maybe read a little bit of Ephesians, you're good to go. <laughs> and he's he's talking about an entire life where you're infused with the, with the kingdom. Mm-hmm. I, I recently got an, an egg, a negative email I had preached on TV that every Christian needs to be part of the church. And he wrote me saying, we're saved by grace alone. What do you do on adding this? And I, I, I responded, yes, we are saved by grace alone, but grace never is alone. It changes our life. Mm-hmm. And if somebody is anti or just ignoring the, the body of Christ, you got to wonder where they're at. Mm-hmm. You know? And so just, or, or, or the way you're putting it, I think, Bill, too, non-discipleship, hey, I prayed the prayer, get off my back. Right. Right. Or right. in the Lutheran terms, hey, I got baptized, get off my back. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think that idea that I could just pray a prayer and get positioned for heaven, if I'm, if that's it and my salvation is secure and all of the things that we talk about that we mm-hmm. need to talk about, but if that's it, yeah, Willard wrote an article, Why Bother with Discipleship? If, mm-hmm. if you've gotten saved and you know you're going to heaven, mm-hmm. then just go ahead and have a party time mm-hmm. as life and yeah. you're going to heaven anyway. And it, he really ta- takes that idea to task, which mm-hmm. I think is really helpful. Yeah, good. I'll say to your uh, letter writer, Tom, what, a, what about the blessing you can be to someone at this church, the encouragement you can be, yeah. the coming alongside and doing life yeah. with that person? And I, I, you know, you can't, what a joy for and, him. And, and yeah, for him, you know, now and then I get an email from someone, you know, Pastor Brock, I don't go to church anymore because the church is in darkness. I understand the Bible properly, so I just read the Bible mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. their church, is them and the Bible. And then you read what they believe. It's weird. <laughs> so it, not only do they need to go to church to serve others, like you said, um, for their own soul's sake, they need to be in, in fellowship and and checking things out. I, I just don't believe there's, you know, the, the reformers, not the Catholic Church, the reformers talked about no salvation outside the church. Right. Mm. So. All right. We are enjoying Guy Talk this hour. Let us know what your questions are, and you can text us at 877-933-2484. We'll take a short break and be back in 90 seconds.
Welcome back to the show. We're enjoying Guy Talk this hour. Pastor Tom Brock is in studio, and also Dr. Peter Kapsner, who's wearing a camouflage shirt, <laughs> and it's so good, I'm not even sure he's in the studio right now. <laughs> Blending so, in with the Oh, there he is. Yes. He, is <laughs> he, he said something. So he just so while, indeed. Uh, all right, all right. Now, does God ever frustrate us on purpose? Try to hmm. get us to the end of ourselves. Does he allow frustration, or does sin create our own frustration, hmm. and he doesn't doesn't create any him, himself for hmm. us? I, I mean, I guess my first blush on that is that frustration is a product of expectations that are not being realized. And so maybe I've got expectations in life that are misaligned on some level, like I should get this or I should get that or I should succeed in my job or I, I should get that relationship. And and if I'm not careful, I can have, live a whole life pursuing those things. So I, I would suggest that God might bring some frustration on purpose. I'm not, I'm not sure that that lines up with Hebrews 12 where it talks about he disciplines those who love, mm-hmm. uh, those who, that he loves. I'm not sure if that discipline takes the form of frustration, yeah. but I would say that if I'm frustrated that my expectations are not being met, maybe God is inviting me into something different in terms of where I find my sense of life. And Jesus said, a bird cannot fall to the ground apart from our Father. Therefore, no frustration come, can come into your life apart from your Father. And I remember an old pastor saying from Job, chapters mm-hmm. 1, 2, and 3, Nothing can come into the life of a believer without first going before the throne of God to get permission. I like so it. I do think God frustrates us a lot for our own good. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I'm going in the wrong direction, please, Lord, frustrate me yeah. and make me go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's so, so I think we, we praise God when he frustrates our evil plans, you know? Yeah. So I use this story when I speak on occasion. Uh, I use the story on occasion when I speak to men in recovery because it seems to connect with them. But it's just a made-up story between a man and God. I normally don't like made-up stuff, but I like this story. God tells this man to push against this very large boulder. And he obeys and starts to push and push and push. And this goes on every day for like six months. Finally, in complete frustration and exhaustion, he rages out at God. He says, I've been pushing on this boulder like you told me for six months, and I haven't been able to move it an inch. And God responded, I didn't ask you to move it. I asked you to push against it. (laughs) (laughs) And I often, uh, you know, we often assume results based on our efforts. If I do this, then this should happen. That's just not the way it works. Yeah, we end up treating God as if he's sort of a chef in a restaurant or something, that if I place my order, I can expect to get what it is that I want. And and I think that becomes sort of the expectations we often have of God that, uh, and, and we've talked about it before, even on this show, that when do we use the phrase hashtag blessed? in our in our church environment, it typically is when things are going well, right. and we think we can sort of make things go well. If we do the right series of behavior, then God becomes sort of beholden to us to help us realize the dreams that we want. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I always, you know, pay that story off by saying, you know, this man who pushed every day learned new disciplines, yeah. learned perseverance, learned hard work, mm-hmm. and God says, you're now equipped to do some mm-hmm. really good things on mm-hmm. my behalf. It seems like when you tell that story, Bill, it's a little bit about uh, those people when Jesus says that uh, you've been trusted with a little, now I'm going to increasingly trust you with much. You, you, you've demonstrated that you're willing to do this sort of weird thing, push against the stone, mm-hmm. or perhaps you know walk around the walls of Jericho <laughs> for six days and, <laughs> uh-huh. and these right. kinds of things, and then and you say yes to these weird things, and God begins to trust you with greater horizons. Yeah. Let's talk about uh, meaning, purpose, and how do we handle suffering in this life? I mean, there's a lot of listeners that are still looking for purpose or meaning in their life. And they know God, but there's something they're looking for more. They're looking for something more. And there's so many people dealing with suffering, suffering at such a high level. Uh, how, are we, how do we handle suffering? Mm-hmm. 
Well, those are big questions. Those are really big questions. Yeah. You know, I'll I, tell you. I'll uh, hang up and listen. <laughs> well, here, talking about purpose and meaning, mm-hmm. and when people kill themselves because they don't have any meaning or purpose, I get that. If I didn't know Christ and, and life is awful, why wouldn't you kill yourself? Mm-hmm. But if there is a God in heaven, <clears throat> I mean, here, here's the story. Once upon a time, there was a king who loved to hear stories, but he'd always cry because they'd always come to an end. So he issued an edict, anybody that can tell me a story that never ends, I'll give him my daughter and half of the kingdom. Mm -hmm. So young suitor after young suitor comes, lines up in front of the castle, telling very long stories, but every, oh, by the way, and if if the story comes to an end, I'll chop off your head. (laughs) Sorry, forgot that. All right, so uh, suitor after suitor comes through, and finally their stories come to the end, a lot of them die. Finally, one suitor comes through, sir, let me tell you a story that will never end. There was a huge mountain of sand, and a little ant came along and moved one grain of sand. And then he came back and moved another grain of sand. And then he came back and moved another grain of sand. And he did this for hours. And the king finally said, I give up. You can have my daughter. You can have half my kingdom. Mm-hmm. The point being, if a point or a life doesn't have purpose and meaning, People get bored with it, and they want to check out. And so one of the biggest things I'm grateful for is that I have purpose and meaning. I mean, it would drive me nuts if I didn't have that. So... Well, and I, and I think to try to live life outside of God's kingdom creates a reality in which you might have a sense of illusion about your purpose and meaning. But if you're honest with yourself, you realize that whatever kingdom you're trying to build in this world on your own mm-hmm. is going to fail at the end of the day. I mm-hmm. think there's very few commonalities we have as human beings across time and space, but one of them is we're all going to die mm-hmm. <laughs> at the end of the day. And, and I think if we really let that fact in, yep. that our end on this earth is that we are going to die, that no matter how much we try to deny that fact and create temporary illusion to sort of soothe the soul around it. Yep. But if you really let that fact in, I think you come to realize some of what the great witness of Scripture is when it says this world is not our home, mm-hmm. when it says this world is broken, when it says this world is not as things should be. Yep. And so how do we find purpose and meaning in a world in which suffering is going to be part of the deal, not necessarily because God is this big, angry, sadistic being in the sky who wants to perpetrate suffering upon us, mm-hmm. but because the world is a broken place mm-hmm. and in need of redemption. So our purpose then begins to be sort of this co-conspirator, this ambassador with God to bring light, meaning, and hope that shines the light of our future in which things are going to be made right ultimately and give a little taste of that future in the present because we are going to be impacted by suffering in this world. But if we don't know, if we think we're signing up for a sense of peace and wholeness based on what this world can provide. Not in this world. (laughs) Yeah, we're asking of the world something it can't provide. I saw a great T-shirt. He who dies with the most toys still dies. Right, right. And I, I I just preached on the verse... Uh, to him who has shall more be given. To him who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And I made the point about Warren Buffett, an unbeliever, a, yep. an agnostic. He's got the world, and even what he has will be taken away. Yeah. Unless he repents before he dies, you know, this kind of thing. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I've been uh, historically most compelled to ask the question, um, those early Christian martyrs as they stood in the Roman Colosseum and they're being torn apart by lions, wild animals, the gladiators, mm-hmm. whatever that was, and yet the... The eyewitness accounts suggest that they held hands and they sang together in the mm-hmm. midst of this profound suffering. Mm-hmm. So what were they anchored in and, and what kind of perspective did they have yep. in the midst of the suffering that greeted them? And it doesn't mean you just sort of just, you know, slough off suffering and say, oh, it's no problem. It's hard, but you can have the perspective of saying, hang on. Of course yeah. I'm going to suffer. This world yeah. is broken, but I have a home that awaits in which all the tears are going to be right. wiped away. And I don't know what if we're going to try to squeeze peace out of this world, as I, you said. I've got, I've got a old songbook at home 
of the slave songs of the South. Mm. And they're just such great songs. They're singing about eternity because they had a miserable temporal life. But wow, could they sing about eternity. And, you know, when you're suffering, you got to sing about eternity, I think. I think that's the only route yeah. forward with it because otherwise you can't make sense of it. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, then God becomes this this being that can't be trusted. In it. But God's playing yeah. the long game. Yeah. And God and is plus, with us in the suffering. Plus, even though I'm saved, redeemed, my sins are forgiven through Christ, I still deserve some suffering. <laughs> you know, Hebrews, what is it, 12, about the God disciplines those whom he loves. And if you're right. not being disciplined, you know, something's wrong. Yeah, I was really interested. I was, um, when we were overseas doing a little schoolwork, I had a, a professor who made me read some Asian Christian theology. And I was amazed at how different Christian theology out of Asia sounded versus American Christian theology, oh, yeah. where they constantly were referring to Jesus as a suffering brother who understands us in the midst of our mm-hmm. trial. And you hardly ever see that kind of language from the pulpits in the church or mm-hmm. in the theological explorations of academia. No. Um, but this idea that, of course, we're going to suffer, but Jesus is with us in yeah. the midst of us, and he will carry us home. Versus, and that is a very different Versus message. A American name and claim it, health Absolutely. and wealth Christianity, which says, if you're suffering, you just need to name it and claim it. That right. suffering's going to go away. Pray a little harder, and the jaguar yeah. will come. Yeah, you know? there you and go. So, yeah. Okay, I just wrote a T-shirt. He who dies with the most toys forces family to have huge garage sale. <laughs> oh, I like Tom it. Tom would be going I'll to be that, there. Right? I'll show yeah. up. What's the address? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> You're, you love garage sales, don't I you? I do. I'm wearing garage sale clothing yeah. as we speak. <laughs> I'm way too much of a snob, i got to admit. Oh, dear. <laughs> All right, let's check our spirits on this because when you talk about someone like a Warren Buffett or someone who talks openly about their their atheism or their hostility to Christianity, and then you open up the paper one day and you see that that person has passed on, because uh, certainly Warren Buffett has not passed on, mm-hmm. but someone like that, what is in your spirit? Is your heart broken that that person died mm. not knowing Christ, or is there a part of you that goes, hmm, you're probably sorting a few things out now? Hmm. I'm, I'm not, I, I, I grieve. Okay, good. Not, not even a little bit of me do I think, good, now he's in hell. Can I tell you? No, real? no, I'm not saying he, no, I'm, no. I'm just saying he is mm-hmm. now, that person has now come to a new reality. You know, can I tell a quick story? Yeah. Warren Buffett was at my mom. My mom and dad knew Warren Buffett in Omaha, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. Warren Buffett was one of my dad's students. They, uh, and I think Warren Buffett would know who my dad and mom were. Mm-hmm. And then when I found out years ago that Warren Buffett is using his billions to send abortion suction machines around the world to make abortion easily read, readable. Uh, Eligible. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so I wrote him. I said, you don't know me, but you remember my mom and dad, Tom and Ruth Brock, and I just want to urge you. To not you, and I said this, even though he's an agnostic, I said, do you really want to stand before God on the last day and that be your legacy, all these dead babies? And, and I, I think I gave him a four spiritual law or some kind of Christian pamphlet. So when I see that in the newspaper, mm-hmm. that Warren Buffett has died, at least I will know, well, I tried. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, all right. We're going to take a little break. We'll come back. Lots more with Guy Talk. If you have a question or a topic you'd like us to tackle, let us know what it is. 877-933. 2484, or you can email me, bill at myfaithradio.com. If you're more comfortable emailing, again, bill at myfaithradio.com. We'll be right back.
Welcome back to the show. Awfully glad to have Dr. Peter Kapsner and Pastor Tom Brock in studio. You can go to askthepastor.org if you want to learn, or thepastorstudy.org. Did I get that right? right. Pastors. Pastorsstudy.org. Two S's. If you have five point million, send it in. <laughs> wow. <laughs> feel free to... I'm kind of uh, used to saying yeah, this. <laughs> feel, free, feel free to plug your show on my show. <laughs> okay. Help yourself. Okay. Um, just had an email from a listener. Uh, I had a Bible professor at Northwestern College who told us that he was sought out by God while in a horrible coma. He then said that never underestimate what God can do at the end of life. Mm-hmm. We're talking about reference to um, mm-hmm. Warren Buffett. Yeah. yeah. And uh, my, I just left the home of uh, the guy that does the finances for my ministry, and he does it all for free. He's a wonderful guy. He died, had the experience of going and sitting at a table with two angelic creatures telling him, you have to go back. Mm. Now, I, I, I believe some of that stuff is real. Yeah. Some of it isn't. But I virtually nothing. <laughs> virtually nothing, but that's okay. <laughs> well, and you know, you've had uh, Jim Bilby on the show a few different times, and he's just recently released a book that one chapter of it explores the idea of post-mortem opportunity, the okay. idea that when you do see the other side, so back to your question before the break about what do we think when people who are maybe atheists are raging against God in this life, mm-hmm. what, what's sort of our response when we know they're headed to the other side and there's sort of the sense of now what do you think? Now that your eyes have been opened and, and full, what do you think now? And certainly there have been strains within the Christian faith. I don't know how relevant they are, but would suggest that post this life there continues to be opportunity and moving back and forth. And I think some of the support for that has to do with after sort of this millennium of time, (laughs) Satan is once again released and begins to deceive people again. And so I don't really know what to think about that as as opposed to the idea that we just get to heaven and that's it forever. I I don't know what's going to happen. I think once you die, your chances are over. And I'm getting that from the... Once the householder has gotten up and shut the door sure. and you are banging on saying, let us in, I will never, I don't, I do not know you. So I, I would not want to say that once you die, you still have another chance to get saved. Right. No. And there, and there certainly is biblical support for that. As yeah. you just referenced, it just, yeah. it was interesting. I'd be curious to hear more of what it, just that idea again, like I said, where Jesus is going to come again mm-hmm. and then there's a millennial of time in which he reigns and then Satan is loosed again to mm-hmm. deceive many if able. What does that look like? And, okay. and what does that mean? And I'm not, I haven't really ever heard, frankly, a very good teaching on that subject. Yeah. yeah. How do we better listen to God? Huh? <laughs> <laughs> or, or, or each other, huh? Yeah, or yeah. each other. <laughs> I know that's kind of a broad, open-ended question, but uh, it, it is one that I hear often. How do I hear? How do I, how do I listen? Yeah. How do I hear? And I think, well, we have so many distractions. We don't, we don't get alone. We don't get quiet. I think we always got something going on in our heads, looking at our phones, blah, mm-hmm. blah, blah, mm-hmm. you know? And so, um, are we, are we doing some self-sabotage there? Yeah, I think uh, some of the, the really well-established Christian practices like silence and solitude that you were sort of referring to there, that to get out of the noise on some level, whatever that looks like. And, and I know sometimes for me, it might just mean turning off the sound in my car, whether it's music that I'm streaming or some show that I'm listening to and just being quiet in that space. But it gets to the bigger question, I think, Bill, is, is how do you know if you are going to open yourself up to God's voice? How do you know that it's actually God who is speaking? What does God's voice sound like in your life? And how do you become a person who increasingly is is attuned to God's voice so you know it is God's voice when he speaks, especially in light of maybe we have friends or family members that have said, well, I was praying and I heard God say, and then I have a word for you and all of these sorts of things that can become disordered pretty quickly. But 
I would be hesitant to throw the baby out with the bathwater then mm-hmm. and say that God doesn't speak in our lives directly in those ways. So how do we discern God's voice in our spirit? I guess unless we stop to begin with, if we don't get into some place of silence and solitude and just at least open ourselves to the possibility, then I don't yeah. think it's possible. But then after that, what does it mean to actually hear and know that this is God's voice well, in our and, life? Well, and I would say too, I mean, I, when I was young, an old preacher said, Tom, you need one hour alone with the Lord every day or you will burn out. And he said, in that hour, you can pray, you can read your Bible. Sometimes I get out the guitar and I sing to the Lord. Sometimes during that hour, I will just say, Lord, is there anything you want to say to me? And I'll just be quiet. And honestly, I n- almost never get anything when I do that. But um, but I, I would encourage people that are listening, if you don't have a quiet time, then that part of what that quiet time is, is you making room to have uh, to listen to the Lord. And, uh, you know, the other thing, too, and I don't want to, you know, you got to be careful about dreams. I think dreams come from one of three places, God, the devil, or pizza. That's my line. <laughs> and, and what, but I will tell you, on the other hand, in the Bible, God speaks through dreams. Mm-hmm. And I had just yep. two days ago, I had prayed for something, and boom, the person uh, in the dream, I won't go through the whole thing, but in the dream, something happened that was wonderful. And I had prayed about this thing, and the next day it happened. Wow. So, you know, just you got to be open to God talking to you through dreams, but you've got to realize the devil can can throw a dream into that looks good and that isn't. So you got to test everything by Scripture. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, and and to the point of dreams, I too have had dreams where it's pretty hard to explain that that was anything other than than God interceding in these moments. And at really critical formative times in my life, I can, again, without getting into all of it, I Mm -hmm. can point to those times. But it's funny, too, when I ask a room full of young students or if I'm in a church and asking a room full of adults, have you ever had a dream that you sense God was speaking to you? It's not something we talk about much. But almost everybody will say, I really have. I absolutely have had that kind of dream. So, But then how do you determine and how do you discern and how do you know that this is something you should attend to? And I've had dreams that really looked like they were from God. Sure. And they were not. So, again, we got to read the Bible, test everything against the written word. How did you discern that, Tom? Um, Well, let me think. Just because it didn't come true. I had a dream in ninth grade that Jesus said, God's time will be in 18 years. That was 1986. <laughs> what happened? Absolutely nothing. Okay. And that taught me, the experience taught mm-hmm. me, this was a $3 bill, you know. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> I know it too. It's I was a religious kid. I, <laughs> yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> but I that. think, you know, about making decisions. Should I take this job? Should I not? Should I walk out this relationship? Should I not? Should I go to the school? That kind of thing. Um, some of the, the ancient practices used words uh, like consolation and desolation were sort of the two words that were used, meaning that, you sort of play yourself out into the future, into that opportunity. So if I take that job and you kind of imagine yourself then moving forward in that job, what do you sense in your spirit? Is there a sense of consolation where there's a sense of peace and a sense of moving forward and a sense of yes to that? Or is there a sense of, oh, I don't necessarily understand why, but I shouldn't head that direction. And Mm -hmm. that could be sort of a red flag. And I know for sure in my life and trying to discern and pray through decisions like that, those words, consolation and desolation, does my spirit rise and have peace as I start walking that direction? Or is there sort of like, don't walk that way? Even if I don't know how it's all going to work out, and even if the pros and cons list say, hey, there's 10 pros to say yes to this and one con, and yet mm, mm-hmm. I've run through those red flags mm-hmm. in my life, and it's always cost me. And I've said yes to things that didn't match up on the pros and cons mm-hmm. list, and they turned out to be consistent with the kingdom. But yeah. I think having people around you mm-hmm. and asking them, so in am an, I in crazy? An abu- or, or Prover- Proverbs says, in an abundance of counselors, there is victory. And yeah, so if I've got that. something that I think is from the Lord, but I'm not sure, 
I bounce it off of other I think Christians. that is critical to yeah. have trusted people around you. If they're yep. seeing the same thing and you yep. begin to see it with one voice, then, mm-hmm. and then you kind of have a sense God is leading that way. Mm-hmm. All right. So I've got a smart TV and I was uh, going home to watch the Twins game and I flipped it on and there, I had this big notice saying that I had to update my software on my smart TV. <laughs> and it wasn't going to let me watch it until I updated it. So... I said, okay, let's let's get this over with. <laughs> yeah, get to the game. <laughs> and of course, then it, it it updates, and 14 minutes later, it's updated. But then I have to look through all the the updates and all the new terms and conditions you have to agree to. And of course, you're scrolling, trolling, trolling. Just uh-huh. get to the yes. end and click. Yes. Okay, okay, <laughs> I agree. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, so fr- it's so frustrating because that little I agree bar doesn't light up until you actually get to the bottom, right? <laughs> right and so right. Just, you're scrolling as quickly right, as you can. Right. Yes. So anyway, it seems that oh, most of us create our own terms and conditions and then yeah. we try to live by them and then we don't even do that successfully. Yeah. And we wonder why our, our life is train wrecked and our, why we're in so much trouble. Yeah, yeah I, you know, and again, it's it's subtle, isn't it? Where I just sort of, I don't know if it's a product of maybe our school systems or the environments in which we grew up or the church or the family or whatever it is, but I, I think how subtle it is. And Tom, I don't know if you've run into this too, but but I quickly have my dreams and my passions and my goals, and then I look for God to endorse those things. Mm-hmm. And and again, I, I wouldn't say that I just, do, you know, I wake up and say, God, do what I'm asking you mm-hmm. to do. But there's a real subtlety that I think goes back to some of our other conversations so far this show that has to do with then frustration and suffering. Yeah. It's so much, some of that frustration and suffering, I would say, it would be missed expectations yeah. based on what I thought I deserved based yeah. on the work that I put in. And, I, and I, that's tricky. And I think... If we lower our expectations in life, that's a good thing. I think so, too. Helps me not get so doggone frustrated when, I mean, when I'm at the uh, traffic light and it's not turning green, it's, well, I got to realize the world does not revival around me. And, yeah. and just to, to lower our expectations in life, and, and again, this is the opposite of American Christianity. Where, no, I, I've got this and this, and I'm naming it in faith, and I'm claiming it. And, uh-huh. so. All right, um, complaints. When we complain... Uh, I'm going to give you three words. Tell me what you think is associated with complaints. I'm ungrateful, I have unbelief, or I'm forgetful. Boy, I, can we pick option D, all of the above? Yeah, go ahead. I, I, think, I, mean, okay. I think those are all great words that describe okay. it, right? I can, yeah. I can certainly think about the ungrateful piece. I remember a pastor once saying that uh, we spend so much time looking up the ladder, and in that place we become discontent and entitled. But if we look down the ladder, we end up in a place of gratefulness much more often uh, about what we have that we otherwise might not. So certainly I can emphasize or uh, identify with that piece of it. But unbelief for sure. Uh, that is absolutely, and you said forgetful too. I can't. Forgetful. I, I mean, right, that, but that's why God commanded the Israelites to go ahead and like build this tower, this Ebenezer stone of rocks. Remember my faithfulness mm-hmm. in this moment because you're going to forget it tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and you're, I'm going to give you manna for 40 years every mm-hmm. single day because I got to teach you that I will provide again tomorrow because how quickly you forget. And I would say that out of those three then, a forgetfulness is by yep. far the biggest one in my and life. I, and I would say probably the best habit I've ever developed was maybe 25 years ago, every night before I go to bed, almost every night, I'll think back through the day and thank God for five things. Hmm. And I do that pretty much every night. And that has well, helped what me. What was last night's five? Um, well, last night's five. I, <laughs> I get to be on your radio show today. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> but, yeah. but, you know, the, the other thing, too, about uh, <laughs> even though you're right, uh, Peter, about what you just said, all of the above, 
it's still true that it's okay to complain to the Lord. They have what they call the complaint psalms, Mm. where David, Lord, what are you doing here? Or or Jeremiah, Lord, how come the evil are are prospering and the good are getting killed? So, I mean, Mm. you got to do it in a way that's not attacking the Lord. But but you can bring your complaint to the Lord. In fact, I, I, I remember an old pastor saying, it's right, when you're really frustrated, just get out the book of Psalms and start praying them out loud. And there are some great complaint psalms that can help us get it out of our soul. Yeah. Well, I think everyone here in the studio has um, food, clothing, and shelter yeah. right now. Right. And, those let and, us be content. Uh, I'm right. just saying. No, I'm just that's saying. right. Um, that's right. There's a lot of people going yeah. tonight without those that's luxuries. Right. For sure. And that yet I still find ways to complain. Mm-hmm. Well, I think about I the car. Myself you know, sometimes. I, <laughs> but I mean, the, the car that I grew up driving, right? I mean, it had cranked down windows, and I was grateful what? that it would have had windows. <laughs> and now, with you know, years of power windows, if I ever had to go to crank back windows, yeah. I would be complaining about the fact that it's ridiculous. But yeah. how, how much, like you said, is what does legitimate need really yeah. look like? And food, shelter, clothing really fall into that category. But power windows might not. But if I'm not careful, power windows really are part of the deal. Yeah, and you think of some of the stories even in, in the Bible where women would have to get up in the morning and spend a significant part of their day going and getting water. Right, right. Or right. for drinking, yep. for bathing, yep. for cooking. Um, and and I, th- I think, too, as a pastor, when I would get down or whatever to go hospital visiting at sure. that point, yeah. and you come yeah. back thinking, now, what was I complaining yeah. about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So... Yeah, you bring up the the traveling for water piece. I just saw some sort of, uh, I don't know if it was a TV show or a, or a church expose of some kind where they were chronicling the, the journey of the women in, in a certain village in Africa that they had to walk two or three or four miles one way each day just to get a bucket of water out of a ditch that wasn't necessarily going to be the, the healthiest of water. And it was a very unsafe journey for them mm-hmm. along the way as well. And and again, I, my father's in Africa even right now as we speak, and, and I know when he comes back from, from Africa, there is this sense of perspective that is gained in terms of how much I just sort of assume should be part of my daily yeah. life that is really just sheer gift. Yeah, We're going to take a little break, and when we come back more Guide Talk, let us know uh, if there's a topic you'd like us to address, 877-933-2484. Maybe you've got a question about your faith, or maybe you're, you've been complaining and you just want to... In- Encourage us um, because you like what you've just heard. Let us know. 877-933-2484. I sure love Guy Talk. We do that on Thursdays, 3 o'clock, and usually gather a room full of men. We're guys, <laughs> We're and guys. we can talk. Well, we talk. Yeah, that's what we do. Peter Kapsner and Tom Brocker in studio. All right, uh, when you have to wait on the Lord and have waited on the Lord, uh, what, have, what has your experience been like? Waiting on the Lord. Hmm. Mm. Feel free to go first, Tom. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Bill. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting on this. <laughs> yeah. You know, the thing is, uh, maybe I'm not very good at this, but... Just you take life day by day. Mm-hmm. You wait and see if God's going to bring some plan of yours to fruition or not. And sometimes he doesn't. 
But you still go on with life. You, again, you still go on with praying, Bible reading, Christian fellowship, serving the Lord. And if you, you know, you and some of what we're waiting for won't happen till the next life. Mm-hmm. And like I've been waiting for certain relatives of mine to get saved, and I pray for them all the time. And I'm, I have to know that very possibly I'm not going to see them get saved in this life. So some of this is for eternity, but you know, gratefully, God answers lots of our prayers right here and now. And I hear in that point, Tom, that you're making, and I think it's an important one, is that I think there's an assumption that if I'm willing to wait and I'm willing to have patience, that eventually what it is that I'm waiting for is going to happen. And and I think that's, again, a source can be a frustration Mm -hmm. because I don't see anywhere in the text that if you just wait long enough, what you want to happen is going to happen. And so what does it mean to really wait upon the Lord and what are we waiting for? And I would I be maybe a bit cautious to think that in my life, that if I'm going to have hope in my life, it is that what I'm waiting for is going to finally be realized. And that's my hope that cares. The hope is that no matter what happens in the future, right. God has our back and, and, and we will be taken care of yeah. even in the midst of the difficulties. It's kind of so. like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right. I and love that fiery, passage. Uh, yeah, it's one of the best verses in the Bible. Oh, King, we will not bow down. Our Lord will save us. But even if, if he, he doesn't, doesn't we're not going to bow down. Yeah. So, yeah. All right, Colossians 2.8 says, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Mm. Are you seeing that more and more? Oh, boy, I will say that I'm, I mean, at least in the circles in which I run, in both academia but in the church, I'm seeing a lot of it. Uh, and and I, I hesitate to be the one who's judging it, right? I mean, like, how do I know for sure? What, but some of these things are, but there are certainly, there seem to be some movements afoot today, I'll say it this way, in which people are beginning to look at the scriptures and say, we have the freedom to reinterpret these scriptures or to reimagine these scriptures or to just even cast aside these scriptures and say that was for then. God is leading us in a new way right now. And we know better now about mm-hmm. whether it be about sexuality, whether it be about other kinds of relationships, what who God is, what love means, all of these things. There is a, an ongoing reinterpretation and reimagination of so many of these subjects that to me, I think they'll speak to some of that verse happening because it's such a, a tremendously historic shift. I mean, you just you look at sexuality, for example, um, that it wasn't until maybe 2005 that any religious movement at any point in the world, at any point in history, ever embraced same-gender relationships mm-hmm. as viable within God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. That was true of the Islamic faith, the Buddhist faith, the Jewish faith, the Christian faith. Hardly ever do all the different faith traditions have unanimity on one mm-hmm. thing. And now there's this idea afoot that says, oh, but we're a little bit more enlightened mm-hmm. now. We can see things better. We can understand it better. And thus the change. This is a tricky issue. I mean, I have so many friends that are walking in these pathways. And I, and there's, I have nothing but compassion in this situation because it's a really and hard thing. To me, but it's you, hard. you expect the world to be deceived. But when the head bishops of the United Church of Christ, the ELCA Lutheran Church, the United Methodist Church, the Episcopal Church, the Presbyterian Church USA, bishops and presidents, when they are promoting this kind of thing, good night. I mean, uh, Bill, you and I (laughs) talked earlier, uh, they just had gay pride parade in New York City. The ELCA Lutheran bishop walked in it, Mm -hmm. and he wrote an item where a gay man came up to me and said, so I'm not going to hell, bishop, because the bishop had a button on saying, uh, uh, this bishop loves you. No, young man, you're not going to hell. And then the guy, you you mean I'm really not going? No, young man, you're not going to hell. And then the bishop said, basically his point was, nobody goes to hell. God is love. Hell is empty. Mm -hmm. And this is coming from the, I mean, I, 
I left the ELC Lutherans years ago, and so did my congregation. I'm just, it, you're, you're right, the deception used to be out there in the mm-hmm. Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormons, cults, the, the society. But when the major Protestant denominations have become the deceivers, time to jump ship for another denomination. Mm. Well, and I think it's interesting because the people that I know that are leading some of these denominations or are pastors of them, they earnestly believe that oh, this is do. the truth and this is what is shalom in God's kingdom. And They're so enlightened. The thing about deception is is when you're, when you're being deceived or when I've been deceived in my life, and I have been, uh, it's not like I'm walking around saying, hey, sweet, I'm deceived. You start, mm-hmm. I mean, you believe it earnestly. You, yeah. And so deception is a really scary thing because but, you believe it earnestly and you begin to bring it fully there. And, and, and how do you discern and then what you is begin, hollow and not? And then you begin to shut out the voices that don't right. agree. I mean, the ELC Lutherans, when they voted in 2009 to do the gay stuff, their their decision was, but we'll allow conservatives to also have a voice. Not anymore. Not, not anymore. in their national magazine, uh, at our seminary. I you went to Luther Seminary here in St. Paul. They have pro. They have transgender speakers. They have gay speakers. They don't have somebody like me who has struggled with same-sex attraction most of his life come in and mm-hmm. tell you why I'm celibate. Mm-hmm. They're not going to bring me into that pulpit. So that just shows you how uh, narrow-minded liberals can be. So um, when. I didn't know we were going to go down this path, but this is really interesting. Let's talk about that church in Minneapolis that had a, mm. a pastor get booted. It was First Covenant. Um, first Covenant, mm-hmm. yeah, which is, like Tom, I, you I, said, one of the greatest right. churches I, around. When I was a student at Bethel University many years ago, I would periodically go to First Covenant because it had Pastor David Larson who could preach the paint off the wall, mm-hmm. one of the best preachers I have ever heard. Then about a year ago, I went to the website of First Covenant, wondering what's happened to it. Very pro-gay. They have a theologian in residence that gave a message where she said the Holy Spirit is more of an environment than a person. Hmm. I mean, it's just weird, radical teaching. I'm so glad the first covenant, the covenant denominations gave them the boot. How many denominations will do that anymore? I praise God they gave them the boot. I hope it wakes them up. I think, it, you know, it's again, and I have friends that are in the covenant church and are pastors in the covenant church and, and have walked alongside and in these conversations over these past five to seven years. And, and I think where I have a place of, of pretty significant sympathy and compassion for, though I disagree with same-gender relationships as being consistent with the kingdom, is that when, when you have friends and when you have kids and you have people wrestling through these things, um, this is not the first time that people have reimagined God's kingdom in light of the circumstances in front of them. Mm-hmm. And, and the circumstances in front of us, the people that we love, the confusion that we have, the difficult conversations that are in front of us, you look throughout history and we begin to, to alter God's kingdom and bend its arc yep. towards our own lives yep. for some very understandable reasons. It isn't like there's this hate mongering going out there. It, it really is understandable. There's this, this earnest effort in response to what people see. But... Um, if it's inconsistent with God's kingdom, it's still inconsistent with God's kingdom. One of the hardest things that we can do is try to uh, reevaluate our lives and bend the, the arc of our lives towards God's kingdom rather than trying to reimagine God's kingdom so that it will fit the arc of our lives. And when you create a God who is fully inclusive of absolutely everything and a God who is fully love of absolutely everything, you have reimagined the God of the scriptures and, and, and it we, changes everything. we got to say, too. God is first, our family is second. I can tell you of two liberal Lutheran bishops that have gone pro-gay. Why? Well, my son's a homosexual. I'm sorry, so what? I have same-sex attraction. So what? It mm-hmm. do- we have to put God before our own desires, the desires of our family. Yeah, but my grandson's a homosexual. So what? I mean, we need to be compassionate, but you don't sell the farm because of your grandson. 
Yeah, I was listening to to somebody. Uh, he writes for the Christian Post, and he he used the phrase "sexual refugees," meaning that the the church's invitation in this time right now is to uh, embrace a, a healthy and holy theology of sexuality and begin to actually manifest that in the church because one of the great criticisms of the church is hey look you've embraced adultery you've you've hidden pornography mm-hmm. there's been sex abuse like who are you to say anything about anything and over mm-hmm. the next maybe 10 years the church really needs to get its house in order so that when there are the refugees that emerge that have been broken by this era yeah. of of this sexual revolution quote mm-hmm. unquote they will have a place to go for healing and, and hope and when I this plays tell, itself out I want to tell people if you struggle with same sex attraction or your grandson does or whatever Google the words Restored Hope Network. Hmm. There are Christian ministries all over the Twin Cities, one of them, all over the country, I mean. One of them here is in the Twin Cities, Outpost Ministry. But Restored Hope Network, you'll get a map of America. You push the button for your city, and you'll see where you can get a support group. Yeah. All right, I just got back from getting coffee. What were you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, it wasn't controversial at all, Bill. Don't oh, worry about it. Yeah, oh, The good. show went fine in your absence. I will yeah. definitely listen to the podcast and find out what I missed. <laughs> That's great. Thanks for uh, coming in. It's been great having you, you guys. Yeah, good to be here. You know, this invitation is always open. Peter, you're really part of the power panel. You're part of the ongoing team all the time. So thank you for your consistent willingness to come no, in. It's so fun be, to be here with you, Bill. It is so much it's fun. It's so fun. And Tom, that seat is always open for you. So let us know when it works into your schedule. Thank you. When you can come back. And you if bet. you want to learn more about Tom, go to uh, pastorsstudy.org, P-A-S-T-O-R-S-S-T-U-D-Y.org, pastorsstudy.org. We're going to have John and Pam Bloom coming up next in the next hour, and then we call that Deep Thinker Thursday. We always enjoy the Blooms, and I'm looking forward to having them in studio. Thank you so much for, uh, for coming in today for Guy Talk, and we'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with Hour 2. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.